I very much am of the mindset that, you know, if you don't like something that you should change it. If you're unhappy that you should do something about it and taking action is very important to me and being in, not being in control of your situation, but taking ownership of your life and what that looks like and kind of not letting life happen to you. Hey guys, I'm Tara Wilson, and this is the Fierce Lab podcast, a series where women explore what it means to be confident, capable, and strong. That's Fierce, and we're here for it. On today's episode, I interview Lindsay Perez, certified financial trainer with The Financial Gym, about her career path from journalism to financial expert. Her secret sauce? Don't say no to yourself. You can find her on LinkedIn at Lindsay-Perez. I'm Lindsay Perez. I'm a financial trainer at The Financial Gym. I grew up in Miami, Florida. I moved to New York City after college for a job opportunity. My college major was journalism and my dream was to work in TV news. So I actually moved to New York for an opportunity with NBC. Um, I did that for a couple years and then sort of through a longer roundabout journey, I'm sure we'll get into, ended up working in the finance world and ultimately coming to my current company, The Financial Gym. So you graduated college and you knew right away you wanted to be in New York City. Is that how it happened for you? Pretty much. Um, in school, when you study journalism, the way that they lay out your career opportunities is you can either be a reporter or a producer. And either way, you're going to have to move to a really small town to get started. Um, And I was really gung-ho about that for the majority of my college career. I thought, fine, I'll move to, you know, small town Nebraska or whatever and get started and it'll be great. I live to work and it'll be awesome and it'll have small town charm and I'm all about it. Um, And about six months from graduating, everyone was starting to talk about the realities of what their you know, next steps were going to look like, what their careers were going to look like. And my two closest friends were also media majors. One was in PR and one was in advertising, and they were talking about moving to New York together. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit was FOMO. And that was kind of the initial like, you know, fear of missing out. And like, oh, my good friends are going to move to New York together. I really want to be a part of that. The other thing was I started to think about the realities of what my life would look like if I did the thing where I moved to a really small town to get my career started. And while I was really passionate about journalism, I also recognized that if I was miserable when I went home every day, that was going to be really challenging. So I started to think about moving to New York instead Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to just explore what my options are because this is what I want to do. And I think you'll see that that's kind of a recurring theme in the way that I've approached things throughout my career. Um, I've often wanted to do things that people thought wasn't the right way to go about it. And I just kind of said, well, this is what I want. So how do I make this happen? I like it. So you, in some way, reverse engineered what you wanted for yourself, which I think is a really great tip for listeners is to understand that there are different pathways to what we want in life. And sometimes it's all about you creating your own pathway. So you took a job at NBC. I mean, that's a 
pretty big name, a pretty big business. And I think a lot of people would look at that and be really impressed. What was that experience like for you? Those, I believe you said three years you were there? Yeah. So my initial um, job with them was as part of the PAGE program, which not everyone is familiar with. If they are, it's usually from the TV show 30 Rock, where there's a character named Kenneth that um, represents the program. But the PAGE program is pretty prestigious. Um, Regis Philbin actually was a PAGE at one point. Aubrey Plaza, who was on Parks and Rec, was a page. So those are just some of the people that have come out of it. A lot of people apply for the program annually and a very small number get picked. So it's very competitive. But essentially, it's a one-year postgraduate program at NBC. You primarily give studio tours. um, But one of the benefits is that you also get to rotate through various assignments at the company with a lot of different departments, whether it be ad sales or news production, marketing, um, and all of their companies, um, you know, under the umbrella of NBC Universal. So NBC News, Bravo, Oxygen, all of the channels that they own participate. So it's really great exposure, almost like an extended internship, but it is paid. Um, And at any time within that program, you can apply and interview for jobs at the company. Mm -hmm. That sounds fascinating. When you were in that page program, were you exposed to other people that mentored you or guided you in your career or helped champion you for that next uh, stepping stone in your career? Yeah, I actually feel like even before I got into the program, I found someone who did that. Um, So... Essentially, what happened was March of my senior year of college, I still wasn't sure what I was going to do. The plan was kind of move to New York and figure it out. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies are hesitant to hire before you physically move. So they'll sort of, even if you have connections, the response is often, let us know when you get here. And so I just kind of started having conversations with people. And so March of my senior year of college, I was in New York for a media conference. And one of our college advisors set up some meet and greet time with an alumni who worked for Entertainment Weekly, the magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, And she sat down with us in a conference room. There were about 10 students and her. So it was very intimate. And she said, she answered a few questions about her job. And then she said, do you guys have any questions about life? Like moving to New York, getting an apartment, who I live with, what my lifestyle is. And we were like, oh my God, yes, this is what we really want to know. So she started talking and she said, well, I actually live pretty close to the office. I'm a few blocks away. And for all of us, you know, we're sitting in midtown Manhattan in a high rise and we're thinking like, how, how are you doing that? (laughs) You're two years out of college. You work for a magazine. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, I actually live in a studio with another person. And so we all kind of start laughing and we're like, oh, gosh, that's crazy. It's exactly what we hear when we hear about living in New York. And um, she said, yeah, it's it works out OK because my roommate works for the Today Show. And so she gets up and goes to work at 3 a.m. And she comes home at 2 in the afternoon. And I don't leave the apartment until... 10 a.m. and I come home late at night. So we're on opposite schedules. And so at this point, something went off in my head and I said, 
I don't want to be rude. I think your story is super interesting, but I'm really interested in television production. Do you think you would connect me with your roommate? I love it. Yeah, I I knew that it was kind of a lot to ask. And so I just kind of went about it politely. And I, what I found, and I'm sure that you'll agree with this, is most people are willing to help you, right? You shouldn't expect anything, certainly. But if you are kind and considerate and express interest in in them and just are honest about what it is that you're looking for, most people will help you if they can. Mm-hmm. Um, because most people had someone reach down a hand when they were climbing the ladder and help pull them up to where they are. So they want to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting connected with her roommate she and I had like an hour long phone conversation about why I was interested in journalism, what I wanted my career path to look like, what I had been doing in college. Um, I was very focused in college. I'm the only person I know that never changed their major. Um, so every summer I had a TV news internship. I ran the TV station at the University of Miami where I went to school. I worked for the newspaper. I worked for the yearbook. So I was really working on building my resume And she was impressed. And she said, you know, we don't often hire people right out of college, but have you ever heard of the PAGE program? And I said, I, I, I'm not really that familiar with it. No, but would you tell me about it? So she gave me a rundown. She suggested that I apply. And of course it was, I went back to school after spring break and it was getting ready for finals and all this, and just trying to juggle all of the stuff that happens at the end of college And about a week later, I got a phone call from someone. Um, They left a voicemail for me and she said, hi, my name is Jen. I work for the PAGE program in New York. And I wanted to let you know that you've been accepted into the next round of interviews. Wow. And I thought, yeah. And I was just like, what? I didn't, I don't think I applied for that job yet. Like I could, I, there was a part of me that was like, maybe I did. And I'm just so sleep deprived that I don't remember. And so it took about 10 minutes. And I finally was like, Oh my God, I wonder if Malia, the woman I spoke to at the today show has something to do with this. So I sent her a note and she said, yeah, I reviewed the resume that you sent me after your, our conversation and taking a look at it, I just think that you would be a great fit. So I took your resume directly to the director of the program. Wow. That's exciting. So yes, from the very beginning, you started receiving mentorship guidance and found someone on the inside that was willing to be an advocate for you, mm-hmm. which I think is so important at any point in our career, right? Finding someone that knows a bit more that is willing to help and willing to guide. And to your earlier point, most people will help you and want to help you if it's possible, but you often have to ask and initiate because everybody's busy, right? Everyone's thinking about what they have going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is so important to me and has been so important to me in so many stages of my career. And in being a coach now and coaching people through things like salary negotiation and their finances and, you know, job interviews, it's amazing to me how often we decide to say no to ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had just said, there's no way she's going to help me, she doesn't even know me 
then guess what? She never would have gotten the opportunity to do that. And I wouldn't be sitting where I am today. So really important to remember for ourselves that that we that people do want to help us and that we can do whatever it is that we want to do and that it is always worth asking the worst thing that would have come out of that situation had i asked to talk to that initial alumni's roommate is she would have said i don't think it's appropriate and then what okay i'm not any worse off than i was before right. <laughs> uh, this being so so what uh, that's a line from a book called reboot And it really encourages you to look inside and say, okay, this happening, this being so, so what? So you were at NBC for three years. Um, Obviously, the PAGE program was a one-year postgraduate program. And then you matriculated to what department? So I was in the PAGE program for about nine months. And then there was a job posting for their investigative unit. Mm -hmm. So jobs and news are extremely hard to come by. Uh, My dream was to work on nightly news and that show hires three desk assistants a year, or at least they used to when I was there. And if those positions had recently been filled, then you were kind of out of luck. Um, And that was the case when I was in the page program. So I was sort of at the point where I was like, what is going to happen? What am I going to do? And the, the news department decided to create an investigative unit that wasn't necessarily a particular show, but that could produce investigative journalism pieces for Nightly News, The Today Show, Dateline, etc. And they needed someone to come in and be an assistant to their executive producer and uh, a researcher. And so I applied for that job. And so when you are an assistant and slash researcher, what does that mean? Um, is it consistent in the the traditional sense of the word that you're grabbing coffee and handling paperwork and scheduling meetings? Or do you get more hands-on and talk about that opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is very much the scheduling cars, getting coffee, you know, dealing with all kinds of personal things that he needed in addition to scheduling, and then hopefully getting to do other things. Um, The assistant portion was the bulk of my job. So there were a lot of parts of that that were sort of that felt sort of menial in the sense of like doing making copies and grabbing lunch for the team. But I also in maintaining his schedule, for example, was getting access to all of the executives, because those were the people he was meeting with. So the CFO of the company, the news president, um, our chief legal counsel, those were people that I spoke to almost on a daily basis um, and created a rapport with. And that was something that I really leveraged in my career change when I ended up moving to finance, because to be able to present yourself in such a way and speak and articulate yourself and be able to interact with these high-level, high-functioning executives at a company is something that's really invaluable in most jobs, right? If you can talk to people at that level and show that you can present yourself in a way that is polished and 
I think I said articulate already, but <laughs> articulate, being articulate is important. Um, then that's really something that you can carry through to other jobs. So for me, it was really about getting that first step in the door, um, doing what I needed to do and making those contacts. I like that. I, and I think I know what you'll say here. So I know that you provide a lot of advice and guidance to other women um, who are looking to build their careers. So when someone talks about starting at the bottom and working their way up, what's your advice around that? How do you feel when maybe someone pushes back on that sort of mindset? I think there's a lot to be said for starting at the bottom and working your way up in the sense that, you know, if you work at the ground level, you have a higher appreciation for it later and you're sort of creating the building blocks in your career to be able to do something at a higher level. Um, while the work I was doing, I could have easily said, this is beneath me. That was the job I was being paid to do. And it was keeping me in the place I wanted to be and getting me the exposure that I needed. So it would have been very easy to throw my hands up and say, I'm not getting anyone coffee. I have a degree from a university. Um, that was the job that needed to be filled. And my willingness to be there was the thing that ultimately got me to the next level. The reality is, is that everybody for the most part nowadays has a college degree. That's not a distinguishing factor anymore. That doesn't make you special. It doesn't make you stand out. What does is your willingness to roll up your sleeves and do the work um, that's required, whatever that might be. And there have been various stages in my career where I've seen the people who are even at higher levels pitch in. And it really, I think, is important to company culture that those little things, however menial we think they are, those are essential to a company running, to a team running, to, you know, getting things done. And so being willing to do those things, I think, is really important. Now, I will say that to an extent, one thing that I, I don't want to say regret, but I think there came a point in my job and my time and as an assistant where I had made myself too essential. And so while that was supposed to be a job with opportunities to branch out, it ended up being almost entirely an assistant job. And I wasn't being allowed to do more of the research, to do more of the reporting and to move up and progress. And that's not to say that that means you shouldn't ever take one of those positions. But I think it was a good thing for me to be aware of and recognize, hey, I've been here for two years. I've been doing the coffee runs for two years. And I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Like I've done my time. Um, because while I do see the value in working your way up from the bottom, I think waiting for someone to look at your work and promote you to the next step is not always the right thing to do. We need to remember to advocate for ourselves and to decide what we want and take action. Um, and so for me at that point, that was when I was like, okay, well, I'm putting in the work and I'm keeping my head down and I'm working really hard, but nothing is being presented to me as a stepping stone. So I guess I have to create that for myself. So Lindsay, was this the point at which you decided to take your talents from NBC to Wall Street when you started to notice that those opportunities for you at NBC to advance weren't coming as quickly as you had hoped? Yeah, so a few things happened simultaneously. Um, I first realized that I was 
kind of unhappy in the job. I was looking at the growth opportunities and there weren't a lot of them. One of the things I learned about myself after actually being out in the workforce is that I'm very driven by metrics. That's just how I work best. I'm a competitive person by nature. And by that, I really just mean I'm competitive with myself. I like to know what the next level is, what I have to do to get there. That really is motivating to me. In the news world, people stay in the same job for 20, 30 years. So you're kind of just waiting for someone to retire or move on. And that started to feel not so great to me. It just wasn't exciting for me and it wasn't super motivating. So I started to realize also that I wasn't in a situation where I was going to be moving up and certainly not soon. And there wasn't a clear path and I didn't love that. So first it was sort of discontent with that as my job path. Um, Simultaneously, I started to think about my personal finances. I was pretty open with my boss at the time, the one who I was, you know, whose assistant I was. And even he was like, well, you should consider an MBA. That'll help you, you know, redirect your career. And, you know, you can do it while you work here. And I'll, you know, you know, he was offering to create some flexibility for me to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially, that was really exciting for me. I started to explore that. But you know, New York City, what are what are my educational options? Columbia, NYU, very prestigious programs, very expensive. Expensive for sure. Yeah. So at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to start applying for jobs on Wall Street, even though I don't have a finance degree, I haven't gone out and gotten a master's. You said earlier, you know, you're driven by metrics. You have this reoccurring theme for yourself that I'm going to move forward and figure it out. This seems like another inflection point in your adult Mm -hmm. life where you did just that. Yeah. So like I said, it's super important to ask for help. And I also think it's really important to be vocal about the things that you want because you never know who can help you. And so essentially what happened was I decided that the route of going to school wasn't for me. I didn't want to take on another $100,000 in student loan debts to potentially shift into a career that I didn't even know if I was going to like ultimately, right? I hadn't worked a day in finance. I had no idea if that was even going to truly be of interest to me. And so I just kind of started telling people about this interest that I had um, and then This is going to sound terrible, but fortunately, my grandmother passed away. Um, Not fortunately, obviously, it was very sad. And I went back to Wisconsin, which is where my mother is from, for the funeral. My mom is one of 10 children. So you can imagine the amount of aunts, uncles. I have 22 first cousins on that side of the family. Um, it's really hard to keep track of everyone. I don't know what everybody does for a living, Uh but I was there visiting with people and everyone's asking, how are things going? Do you love your job? Do you still love New York? How's the news business? And I just started talking and I said, no, I'm actually really interested in finance. Um, and I think I'm thinking, and I'm trying to figure out how I can pivot my career. And my aunt Jackie said, well, you know, that's what I do, right? I said, no, but tell me more. And so we talked for a bit. She had worked at Merrill Lynch for, at the time, I think she was coming up on 30 years. She actually retired a few years ago. In this particular case, I had a resume that was ready to go. I was very 
clear on what I was looking for and looking to get out of the career change and why I was making it. And I was ready to make the leap if someone was willing to make an offer. Mm -hmm. So, so let's fast forward a bit. You've taken a job at Merrill Lynch. You've worked there. How long before you met the team of the financial gym? I worked at Merrill for three years. As a financial advisor. Did you start as a, a CA, a client associate, and worked up? Did start as a client associate. I ended up becoming an analyst. I never formally became a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. So tell me how you met the team uh, for the financial gym. I had spent three years at Merrill. I had gotten various um, licenses and learned a ton. I had basically gone from being the person who was frustrated with not understanding investing to trading stocks for other people. And I was at a point where I wasn't fully... I don't want to say I wasn't happy. I just was kind of doing a self audit of like, am I happy here? What do I like about my job? What don't I like about my job? A big part of our team's work was corporate, um, corporate benefits. So 401k plans, stock options, things like that. And in my particular role, I was often going out to companies and meeting with their employees and doing education. So, you know, if your company issued stock options and we were the brokerage firm that you hired to administer all of that, then a couple times a year we would come out and speak to your employees and say, "Congratulations, you're getting 20,000 shares of company A and this is what it means. This is how they work. Um, this is how it fits into your financial picture." And I remember being at one particular company one day while I was doing this sort of audit of, you know, am I happy? What do I want? What's next? Um, And I started talking and going through my spiel and doing the presentation. And I said, so the first thing you're going to want to do is open, open a brokerage account. And this particular company was a creative company. It was a fashion company. And someone's hand shot up immediately. And I said, yes. And he said, what is a brokerage account? And I was like, oh, Yeah. Um, And it was this like exhilarating moment where I felt like, oh, I pushed through the door and got this information that I thought once was really for the elite or was exclusive. And now I get to open it for this other person and say, this is just a fancy word for an investment account. (laughs) That's all it means. And your stock is going to go in here. And you know, that was amazing. And that was such a small part of my job. But I realized that that was the part I liked the most. And so I started trying to figure out how I could do more of it. It's interesting. Let's let's stop for a minute and talk about this term self audit. Tell me more about that. Mm. That's very interesting. And it sounds like you do those on a periodic basis. And is that conscious or unconscious? What does that mean to you to do a self audit? Sometimes it's conscious. Sometimes it's triggered by a very specific event. Um, When I started to think about leaving NBC and leaving journalism, I uh, was at work one day and I um, was so stressed out, I found myself crying in a bathroom stall. And that for me was like a, hey, what are you doing? Are you happy? Obviously not. What can you do about it? This isn't okay. Um, sometimes it's not as conscious. 
it's just, I think part of being a person that's always been interested in, in their own growth and development. Um, I very much am of the mindset that, you know, if you don't like something that you should change it. Um, and if you're unhappy that you should do something about it and, you know, taking action is very important to me and being in, not being in control of your situation, but taking ownership of your life and what that looks like and kind of not letting life happen to you. So I think the self audit for me is just like every once in a while checking in and saying like, you know, am I happy? Do I feel good? Am I proud of the choices that I'm making? Are there things that are not lining up with my values or goals or, and just figuring out how I can handle those. Cause it's very easy to get wrapped up in the day to day. And sometimes life moves so fast. And next thing you know, you open your eyes and you don't even know how you got where you are. So I think it's important to create moments where you stop. and just I love check that. In. A gut check. Tell me about how you made the transition from Merrill Lynch to the financial gym. So I started to feel like what I really wanted to be doing was educating people, people who felt like I did when I got started on that journey in terms of my finances. Um, And I started to do some research on where I could do that. Uh, Most major banks have some sort of educational program or arm. So I was kind of exploring those opportunities, but it's a really small part of their initiatives. It's usually run out of like a communications department. So I was looking at alternative companies and what I could do. Um, There's a lot of financial startups nowadays, and there are some great ones. And so I was looking at job opportunities there, but largely a lot of the roles looked like the traditional ones at major banks or brokerage firms. So I knew that wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted the opportunity to spend more time in the room with that person that was going to say, what is a brokerage account? Mm -hmm. And to help people not only feel like they could understand this stuff, but like they were worthy of knowing it. You know, it's almost a self-worth thing. It's like, oh, investing is not for me. That's for rich people. Well, no, it's not necessarily. But if that's your attitude, then yes, it is. And Lindsay, do Um, you find that more women than men have that sense of, oh, investing is not for me. Oh, I don't really get involved in that. I, you know, I let my husband, my father, um, you know, some other male influence in my life as a woman handle my money. What do you see that being something that women are having an attitude toward money in that way? Absolutely. I think, and there, look, there have been a lot of studies that show in general, for whatever reason, women are more likely to experience self-doubt. And that's not how it's worded, right? But they'll look at like behaviors of men and women in terms of applying to jobs. And I think it's like men will only meet two or three of the criteria and apply anyway. And women want to have all of them before they even apply to a job, Mm -hmm. right? So for some reason, we kind of hold ourselves to a higher standard or say no to ourselves more often. Mm -hmm. But there's this interesting paradox that goes on because After a year of working one-on-one, at least at the financial gym with clients, what I've seen is that most of the time, women are the ones handling the money in the household, right? They're the CFOs of the house. And yet, the reality is, when I do meet with clients, 
whatever a person's situation is, however much money they're making, almost every man that I meet with has an investment account and almost every woman I meet with doesn't. Um, And again, regardless of whether they're making six figures and have a decent savings in the bank or, you know, or not, Um, women just aren't doing it. And the men are. um, And that is a really scary. It's not a statistic you just gave me, but that's a really scary piece of information that you've uncovered in your career is that women aren't investing and men are. And yet women live longer than men. Um, so there's a need to have more money. I would, you know, when you extrapolate the, the time, it, that's just a scary thought to think that we're putting less money aside for ourselves out of a lack of confidence, a lack of education. So I'm sure that this gives you a lot of rewarding moments in your profession when you are able to guide, direct, and advise women on how to manage their money. Do you, do you find that to be the case? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we joke all the time about, you know, being cheerleaders as financial trainers at the financial gym, but like, it's totally what it is. Um, half the time, the initial battle is just getting someone to believe that they can do something right. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, we live longer. 80% of nursing home residents are women. 90% of women have to manage their own money in their lifetime. But studies have shown that two in 10 women feel prepared to make wise financial decisions. So only 20% of women actually feel like they can take financial responsibility, even though the reality is, is that they're going to have to. So they're just not feeling confident in their choices, which is really just so scary. And then add to that, that Uh, the pay gap between women and men, and then Mm -hmm. an even greater pay gap for women of color and men. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it starts, the statistics start to get very scary for women. So share with me some of the great pieces of advice that you've been able to share with your women um, clients. Um, Maybe you have three or four tips that are things that every woman should take into consideration or do or know about in order to improve her financial health? Absolutely. So I would say, first and foremost, let's talk about salary, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about how women get paid less than men all the time, but that's sort of an abstract idea that we can be mad about. I highly recommend that all of my clients do their research to figure out what they should be paid for the work they're doing in the market that they're doing it in. You know, if you're an ad sales person in Dallas, then you should know what the average employee in that role makes in the Dallas area and where you stand in comparison, right? So are you at least being paid on par with what is the median range for your particular job wherever you are? The second thing is to take care of yourself. Um, And that sounds really vague. But what I mean is, you know, over the course of our lives, women feel a lot of pressure to take care of other people, right? We're more likely to go into debt, to take care of children, to take care of our parents. Um, And we kind of end up taking care of everyone and not ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've met with someone who 
you know, is in a really challenging financial situation in terms of debt, maybe not a lot of savings. And we get to the goals section of our meeting and the goals are to send their kids to college and to help supplement their parents' income and all of these other things that are for other people. Meanwhile, they haven't even thought about you know, dealing with the debt that they have or their own retirement savings. That always comes second for some mm. reason. Do you, is that the same for you as the, the old saying, pay yourself first? Yeah, I think it's, I think they're related, right? So paying yourself first, first and foremost, meaning making sure that you're saving and that you're not just spending all of your income. So when your paycheck comes in, you pay your bills, you pay yourself by putting money into savings or into an investment account, and then living off of the rest. Um, But also, yes, making sure that you're taken care of before you can give to other people. Um, You know, your kids are important and their education is important, but they can take out loans for that. There's no loan for retirement. So it's really important that you've got yourself in order in order to be able to give to other people. My last thing, and this is something that I've really carried throughout my career. um, And I have my dad to thank for this. My dad's one piece of advice to me throughout my life was don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something. And I think that that's really important. Um, Just because someone has a higher level of education or just because someone doesn't think that you're capable of something doesn't mean that you are. So whatever your financial situation is, it's fixable. Whatever amount of money you think you should be making, it's possible. Um, And if it's a career change, if it's, you know, a, a change in your lifestyle, whatever it is, the key is to believe that you can do it. Honestly, when I talk about salary negotiation with my clients, my number one thing for them is don't say no to you. Let somebody else say no, right? If you ask for that raise, or you're negotiating for a new job, and you ask for a specific salary, if you've already decided that that request is not possible, then you've already decided you're not getting it. Let the employer tell you they can't pay you that. Because you don't know that they can't until they've said that. So, um, yeah, those are my three things. I like um, that. Don't say no to you. That's, that's great. Mm-hmm. What one piece of financial advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? Oh, God. <laughs> Designer handbags are not an investment. Uh, I <laughs> Um, I used to think that if I bought something expensive, whether it was a handbag or a pair of sunglasses, that as long as I used it for, you know, a certain amount of time, then it was okay. Like I could remember doing the math. I was thoughtful about it, right? Like I would say, okay, this bag is X amount. And if I use it for two years, then it's only this much money a day. Um, but it's not an investment. It's never going to appreciate, um, And I'm not saying that you can't have nice things, but the key would be to save the money first and then purchase the item, not purchase the item in the hopes that it's going to pay off because it's not going to. That's a great piece of advice. So I know that the financial gym has a lot of fantastic resources um, for both clients and people who are trying to determine if they can even make that step. 
What additional resources would you like to point out that are valuable, um, especially to women as they're looking to grow their knowledge around their finances, um, develop confidence in saving and making investment choices, and really even perhaps getting the courage up to work with a financial coach like yourself? What resources would be valuable to share? Do you mean like specific books or podcasts? Podcasts, websites, articles that you've seen, um, people that they should follow on Instagram, resources of that nature. Sure. Um, Well, actually, our founder, Shannon, has a great podcast. It's called Martinis and Your Money. Um, And I think it's great because she talks about a lot of different financial topics, but every so often she also does what we call a financially naked session with someone uh, where she sits down with one particular person, whether it's an employee of the company or a client of the company, sometimes it's an investor of the company, and she goes through their specific financial situation. So everything from income to savings accounts, investments, debt, if they have it, and then also their goals. So Essentially, it functions just like one of our first sessions with a trainer. So on the one hand, it gives you the insight into what that looks like. But also, I think it's a good segue into, for me, what is the most important resource, which is our circle of friends. Um, I think talking about money and talking about finances and our financial situation is the most important thing that we can do for ourselves and for each other. There is so much shame when it comes to money. And a lot of it is really unfounded. It's all based on the fact that we don't have conversations. So we don't know what anyone's situation is. And we've just decided that our situation is the worst possible one. Um, I've met with people $100,000 in debt and with $100,000 in the bank. And there is the same emotional response in those meetings to having to talk about their financial situation. I almost always get to a point in the meeting where the person will offer me the disclaimer, okay, now this is bad. And I truly never know what's coming next. Um, Sometimes it's, okay, now this is bad. I only have $10,000 in my savings account. And sometimes it's, okay, now this is bad. I have 17 credit cards with balances on them. Um, those are very different financial situations. Um, and it's interesting to me that those people have the same fear about talking about it. And for me, because of that fear, because of that shame, because we don't talk about it, what people do is they don't deal with their situation at all, which in my opinion is the only bad decision you can make when it comes to your finances is to just bury your head in the sand. Ultimately, I truly believe every financial situation is fixable. Every dilemma is figure outable, which I know is not a word. But, um, and so I would say the number one resource that we can really give to ourselves is, is each other. Talk to your friends. Um, and to go back to the salary conversation, you know, it may not ever be comfortable to go up to someone and say, how much do you make? And certainly it's not polite conversation. But I do think it's important to become more comfortable, at least talking to some people and saying, you know, hey, I'm looking at jobs in this particular field. What do you think is a reasonable range for me to expect? 
Um, and to get that information from real people and not websites, right? Like salary.com, payscale.com, Glassdoor, those are great resources for doing some research, but it's also nice to have the hard numbers from people who have done those jobs. Yeah. And there's a way to do it and get that information without, you know, being, being rude or being invasive. So Lindsay, we've covered a lot of different topics. We've talked about career development and taking risks, being an advocate for yourself. Um, We've talked about negotiating and negotiating for yourself and not not closing the door on your opportunities by assuming someone's going to tell you no. As you know, this is Fierce Lab, the podcast. And the question I love to ask all guests is, um, what does the word fierce mean to you? I think for me, the word fierce is about conviction and taking action. Um, And that doesn't mean that you're not ever afraid or that you're always completely certain about the thing that you're doing, but putting your full energy and passion into the choices that you're making with the understanding that, you know, nothing is permanent, right? Nowadays, even a tattoo can be removed. So I think we have the tendency to be immobilized by fear. And I think being fierce is about taking that fear acknowledging it and saying, I am afraid or I'm not afraid, but regardless, this is the next step that I'm going to take. This is the thing that I'm going to do. And if it turns out to be a huge mistake and I don't like the choice that I made, then I'm going to make another one. Um, I love that. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that you've joined me today and shared with me your journey to your career. You've given us a lot of really great nuggets of information, advice, guidance, hard-earned lessons that are important to impart to other women. Is there anything that you'd like to share as we wrap up? So I think the one thing that I want to add, and this for me is actually a point of personal growth too, that I get to share this, I feel like I come off as a confident person and hopefully that's shown through in this interview. And I, and I do consider myself to be a confident person, but the one thing that I'm working on and that I think is really important to impart to people, um, and this sort of, it ties into what I was saying about, you know, acknowledging fear and choosing to move forward anyway, um, is it's important to ask for help and, for whatever that means for you, right? Asking for help and having someone, whether it's get you to the next step in your career or make your life simpler or provide support in a mental, emotional, physical way, whatever it is that you need is not a sign of weakness. Um, It's really important to acknowledge when you can't do something on your own and to be willing to be vulnerable and to ask for whatever that thing is. And I'm, and I think, and I hope that part of Fierce Lab and this community that you're creating and is, is about women coming together to support each other and lift each other up and, um, and help each other. Absolutely. That is the intent of Fierce Lab is to learn from other women to share our experiences and the things that we've been through. You know, a lab is a place where you can come together, you can experiment, you can try things out. It's okay to make mistakes in the lab. In fact, you're supposed to try things out, make mistakes, 
And that's what we want Fierce Lab to be, is that place for women to come together, to feel safe, to share, to engage, and to lift each other up. Um, And I know that you sharing your story is going to be so valuable to the women who listen to our podcast. And I just want to say thank you again for taking the time uh, to share all your nuggets of wisdom and, and hard-earned experiences in life. So thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for listening today. If you liked this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, leave a review or tell a friend. With your help, we'll grow the Fierce Lab community. And I would love to stay in touch. You can find me on Instagram at Tara M. Wilson.